0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for turning into the page. Tur- turning into, <laughs> thank you for tuning into episode eight of the Page Turners podcast, where we are doing book studies, book walkthroughs, book reviews, discussions on books. We are currently doing a book study walkthrough on Black theology and Black power by the late great Dr. James H Cone. We are moving into chapter two um, where we will begin to see more of black liberation theology unpacked from a uh, theological perspective. Much of this book has been so far, chapter one has been all about what Black Power is and isn't addressing one of the, many of the myths and misconceptions on Black power. Uh, if you haven't heard any of the previous episodes, uh, this is not a bad jumping point, jumping on point because we're digging into a new chapter. But some of those things that we read in chapter one, Are foundational and one of the things that I advise you family is while you're listening to this this book this reading of this book and this breakdown of this book remember the book was written in 1969 but many of the things are interchangeable with things that are taking place now even as far as uh, black power the term phrase excuse me the perspective can be interchanged with black lives matter today uh same similar man it's very 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 fascinating i thank you guys oh man uh, for tuning in i asked the same thing that you would continue to subscribe share Uh, Hit me up, man, if you have any questions, comments on these particular texts. i love to hear from you. I appreciate everyone who has supported. I thank you to everybody who has donated, man, uh, to this podcast. I sincerely and wholeheartedly thank you for all that you're doing in putting this information out. I think this information is incredibly useful. This is not just, hey, as you look at this book and walk through this book, there's information in here, man, that is very, very crucial to those who are seeking understanding about where they are in their faith, where they are in America, and where they stand as a black person in this country. One of the struggles for a black Christian is often trying to find their blackness within the Christian faith. Chapter two begins with the gospel of Jesus, black people and black power. One thing is clear. The damnation of the rich is as lucid as the promise to the hungry. Albert van den Havu. Contemporary theology from Karl Barth to Jurgen Maltman conceives of a theological task as one which speaks from within the covenant community with the sole purpose of making the gospel meaningful to the times in which men live. While the gospel itself does not change, every generation is confronted with new problems and the gospel must be brought to bear on them. Thus, the the task of theology is to show What the changes, the changeless gospel means in each new situation. It's always been one of my struggles, man, or here of late uh, is trying to find practical applications of the Christian faith outside of just praying and, and fasting and other spiritual disciplines. But dealing with the faith in regards to how we handle white supremacy on a smaller scale, practical application of in marriage life and fatherhood uh, within the institutionalized church context, often those things, those topics are addressed with scripture. Now, there's nothing wrong with addressing anything with Scripture, but I need more. We need more than just verses on loving your wife as Christ loved the church. We need more than just, you know, spare the rod. You know, we need more, and I think that's one of the the, the failures of the institutionalized church is the lack of practical everyday application of the gospel back to the text on the american scene today as yesterday one problem stands out the enslavement of black americans but as we examine what contemporary theologians are saying we find that they are silent about the enslaved condition of black people Evidently, they see no relationship between black slavery and the Christian gospel. Consequently, there has been no sharp confrontation of the gospel with white white racism. There is then a desperate need for black theology, a theology whose sole purpose is to apply the freeing power of the gospel to black people under white oppression. And I have that highlighted circle Uh, because it's so so crucial. Black theology, a theology whose sole purpose is to apply the freeing power of the gospel to black people under white oppression. And the text reads, in more sophisticated terms, this may be called a theology of revolution. Lately, there has been much talk about revolutionary theology stemming primarily from non-Western religious thinkers whose identification lies with the indigenous oppressed people of the land. These new theologians of the third world argue that Christians should not shun violence, but should initiate it if violence is the only means of achieving the much needed rapid radical changes in life under dehumanizing systems. They are not confident, as most theologians from industrialized nations seem to be, that changes in the economic structure from agrarian to industrial of a country will lead to changes in its oppressive power structure. America seems to be the best indication that they are probably correct. Therefore, their first priority is to change the structures of power. The present works seek to be revolutionary in the sense that it attempts to bring to theology a special attitude permeated with black consciousness. It asks the question, what does the Christian gospel have to say to powerless black men whose existence is threatened daily by the insidious tentacles of white power? That, that, that question hasn't changed. That question is still the same. That that question is still the same today as it was yesterday. It's still the same as when it was written in 1969. What does the Christian gospel have to say to powerless black men whose existence is threatened daily by the insidious tentacles of white supremacy? Ah, excuse me. Come on, man. Is there a message from Christ to the countless number of black lives whose lives are smothered under white society? Unless theology can become ghetto theology, a theology which speaks to black people, the gospel message has no promise of life for the black man. It is a lifeless message. Merely accept it, the problems defined by white theologians. Excuse me, let me go back. Unfortunately, even black theologians have more often than not merely accepted the problems defined by white theologians. Their treatment of Christianity has been shaped by the dominant ethos of the culture. There has been very few, if any, radical revolutionary approaches to the Christian gospel for oppressed blacks. There is then a need for a theology whose sole purpose is to emancipate the gospel from its whiteness so that blacks may be capable of making an honest self-affirmation through Jesus Christ. This This work further seeks to be revolutionary in that the fact that I am black is my ultimate reality. My identity with blackness, what it means for millions living in a white world, controls the investigation. It is impossible for me to surrender the basic reality for a higher, more universal reality. Therefore, if a higher, ultimate reality is to have meaning, it must relate to the very existence of blackness. Certainly, white Western Christianity, with its emphasis on individualism and capitalism, as expressed in American Protestantism, is unreal for blacks. And if Christianity is not real for blacks who are seeking black consciousness through the elements of black power, then they will reject it. We see this time and time again today with a number of other so-called black religious organizations that black folks are rushing to because they're finding that Christianity is not real to them. It's not practical to them. Because while many churches are spending their time seeking God's face, black Christians or black people are seeking other answers to family trauma, to poverty, to white oppression. They're seeking other answers. So while Christianity, black Christians are... and don't, Do you see this, man? Do you see what he's talking about. This is prophetic. And I don't want to throw that word around. It's prophetic. And the text reads, Unfortunately, Christianity came to the black man through white oppressors who demanded that he reject his concern for this world as well as his blackness and affirm the next world in whiteness. Now listen, listen, In that particular part of this text, I don't believe that Dr. James Cohen is saying that Christianity was only received by Black men and women through white oppression. I think that case, that argument, that case can be made for that argument. I think that's fair. But in other texts I've read, he further unpacks how Blacks have received or came to understand or know Christianity. So don't take that statement right there, man, as him saying only through oppression, Okay, And the text reads, the Black intellectual community, however, with its emphasis on Black identity, is becoming increasingly suspicious of Christianity because the oppressor has used it as a means of stifling the oppressed concern for present inequalities. The black intellectual community. Man, (laughs) as I read this book, man, I just pause because I see, we see, we don't see so much today, the black intellectual community, don't it? But the black conscious, quote unquote, conscious movement with its heavy emphasis on black identity, Has what? It seems Christianity is the number one target. (laughs) That if black folks come, a lot of black conscious or spiritual universe loving folks, whatever the case may be, believe that if black folks let go of Christianity, then we would be able to stand up and fight against white supremacy. Fascinating, isn't it? Back to the text. Naturally, as the slave questions his existence as a slave, he also questions the religion of the enslaver. We must, writes Milano Ron Carrigan, concern ourselves more with this life, which has its own problems. For the next life across Jordan is much further away from the growl of dogs and policemen and the pains of hunger and disease. (laughs) Therefore, it is appropriate to ask, is it possible for men to be really black and still feel any identity with the biblical tradition expressed in the Old Testament and New Testament? Is it possible to strip the gospel as it has been interpreted of its whiteness so that its real message will become a live option for radical advocates of black consciousness? Is there any relationship at all between the work of God and the activity of the ghetto? Must black people be forced to deny their identity in order to embrace the Christian faith? Man, I'm going to read those questions again because I think those are questions that we, the listeners, would want to chew on for a bit, man. Is it possible for men to be really black and still find any identity with the biblical tradition expressed in the Old and New Testaments? Is it possible to strip the gospel as it has been interpreted of its whiteness so that this real message will become a live option for radical advocates of black consciousness? Is there any relationship at all between the work of God and the activity of the ghetto? must black people be forced to deny their identity in order to embrace the Christian faith? I know in many denominations, man, I know many Christians, black Christians, white Christians, particularly with that last question, must black people be forced to deny their identity in order to impress Christian faith? We'll say yes. They'll answer wholeheartedly, yes, without thinking. And the text reads, Finally, is black power as described in chapter one compatible with the Christian faith? Or are we dealing with two utterly divergent perspectives? These are hard questions. To answer these questions, however, we need to discuss first the gospel of Jesus as it relates to black people. This portion of the book, man, in chapter two, is where he begins to unpack what is the gospel of Jesus. And this is crucial, man. The same way having an understanding, a foundational understanding of what black power is and isn't is crucial to this text. Grasping what he is saying about the gospel of Jesus is really, really important, man. And I'm almost guaranteeing you, unless you're familiar with black liberation theology, that it's going to be different than what you were taught in Sunday school. It's going to be different than what you learned. So it might be challenging for you. It may be difficult. Cognitive dissonance may set in. You may wrestle with this. You may... Get to a point, man, in this particular aspect of this book study, when you reject the whole thing. I pray that doesn't take place. But I also am not here to force black theology down anyone's throat as an acceptance, as your chosen uh, theology. No, 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 no. But the point of this podcast this particular book study is one to to highlight a great great man a great great black man a great great black Christian man who in 1969 put out a great work highlighting his struggles with Christianity and the current civil rights black power movement and showing the parallels of what many black Christian men and women are facing today in 2018 when it comes to dealing with white supremacy. That's, that's, that's the point. That's, that's the objective of this particular book study. Now to, it should challenge you. It should give you something to wrestle with. It should open up some 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 areas of thought, man, where you begin to to see some things differently. Well, here's what I know, and we're just gonna keep it all way one hundred. A lot of you are going to accept what this theology is saying except the things that Dr. James Cohn has put here you're going to get a thirst for this this information but then it's going to be that that difficult stage of actually living it out sharing it with others it's going to be the difficult aspect and I understand man just make sure you're not being too hard on yourself okay And the text reads, what is the gospel of Jesus? Christianity begins and ends with the man Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. He is a revelation, a special disclosure of man, of God to man. Revealing who God is and what is his purpose for man is. In short, Christianity is the essence of I'm sorry, Christ is the essence of Christianity. Slymacher was not far wrong when he said Christianity is essentially distinguished from other faiths by the fact that everything in it is related to the redemption accomplished by Jesus of Nazareth. In contrast to any many religions, Christianity revolves around a person without whom its existence ceases to be. For this very reason, Christology is made the point of departure in Karl Barth's church dogmatics. According to Barth, all the theological talk about God, man, church, etc. must inevitably proceed from Jesus Christ, who is the sole criterion for every Christian utterance. Amen. To talk of God Or of a of man without first talking about Jesus Christ is to engage in idle abstract words which have no relation to to the Christian experience of revelation. Therefore, Barth is best known for his relentless, devastating attack on natural theology, which seeks knowledge of God through reason alone, independent of Jesus Christ. Whether one agrees with Barth or not regarding natural theology. He is at least right about what makes Christianity Christian. That's important, man, because he quotes Barth a lot. So don't get too caught up on that notion. It's important. It helps frame and shape his thoughts. Okay, that's important. Here's a quote. All theological statements when their Christian character only through their connection with Jesus, it is precisely Christology that discusses and establishes the justification in the appropriate form of theological reference to Jesus in a methodological, I'm sorry, methodical way. Therefore, theology theology can clarify its Christian self-understanding only by a thematic and comprehensive. Involvement with the Christological problems. His teaching about Jesus Christ lies at the heart of every Christian theology. The teaching of Jesus Christ lies at the heart of every Christian theology. Yesterday there was a A little ruhaha on Facebook between two particular Christian groups. I think it's fair to to label one Christian group as uh, Christians who do not go to church, and Christians—I'm sorry—Christians who do not go to church and have no allegiance to. The church system. Ah, excuse me. I've been battling this this little cough and stuff in my throat. I apologize. So the one group is Christians who don't go to church and hold no allegiance to any church organization or church system. The other group would be Christians who do attend church and hold an allegiance to a particular church or church system. Okay, so you have this, this this little brouhaha, man, between these two groups, going back and forth with 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 Facebook videos and posts and 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 all these different things, uh, just going back and forth. That's not the first time this has happened. This is not a new phenomenon. It's not nothing, you know, surprising to anyone. But I think this question comes up, man, or should come up when we're having those type of discourse. Is Jesus Christ at the heart of the theology that you're spitting? Is Jesus Christ at the heart of the theology, so for each group, as a question that they can be asking each other, whether externally or internally, in their their messages and, and texts or whatever, is Jesus Christ at the heart of your theology? And if the answer is yes, how is that being manifested in the discourse? Not saying that you can't have the discourse or the debate or you shouldn't have it, but is Jesus Christ at the heart of that discourse? Can people see Jesus in the midst of that discourse is is jesus christ the the the, the goal the objective there? Because on one side, those who do not go to church and hold no allegiance believe strongly that they can not be a part of a church and still have a very strong, fruitful, loving relationship with Jesus. But many on the other side of this argument feel as though they can't. That Jesus Christ and the Church are, in many instances, for many people, synonymous. <sighs> Excuse me, I had to sneeze. But I think that's that's when we get into these discussions, man. We we go so deep, searching for the theological answers, and you know, we, we want to just go over the the edge with the stuff sometimes, man but we would just keep it simple and build off of that simplicity is Jesus Christ at the heart of this theology. I'm gonna read one little small passage. Actually, I think this is a matter of fact, man, this is a great place to stop right here. We're in chapter two, chapter two of Black Theology and Black Power by Dr. James H. Cone. And this chapter is titled The Gospel of Jesus, Black People and Black Power. This is a great place to stop, man. Yeah, because he begins to go deeper and transition to a different topic underneath this particular chapter. So we're going to stop here, man. I thank you guys for hanging with your boy as I battle through some of these throat issues, man. Uh, It's that time of year. One minute it is 101. The next minute it is 71. Uh, Just keep your boy in prayer as I I battle through this. Uh, I thank you guys for tuning in, man. Uh, Please continue, man, to reach out. Any questions, comments, concerns, uh, hit me up, man. This has been another episode of the Page Turners broadcast. It's your boy, Elgin Bailey. Till next time.